Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet him, greet him, treat him, and street him. Today's date is November 10th, 2018, and I am your skeptical host, Ken Milne. The title of today's podcast is Screening Tool for Child Sex Trafficking. You may have noticed there was no music for the introduction. Part of the SGM brand is to have some fun and engaging theme music to help with knowledge translation. This topic of child sex trafficking is very serious and disturbing. I struggled with what would be an appropriate song choice. After thinking about it and not coming up with something acceptable, I went to Twitter to ask my FOMED friends. It was Ming Le Kong who suggested no music for this episode, and perhaps a period of silence. Mitochondrial Eve agreed and said that she used silence to great effect frequently. I hold both of these wise people in high regard and value their opinion. I listened, and I heard what they said, and that's why there was silence rather than a song to introduce this SGEM Hop episode on child sex trafficking. Our guest skeptic this week is Dr. Chris Bond. He's an emergency medicine physician and clinical lecturer at the University of Calgary. He is also an avid FOMED supporter and producer through various online outlets, including the SGEM. Welcome back to the SGEM, Chris. Thanks for having me, Ken. Now, we're not going to have banter for this episode, but rather get straight to a case. But before we get to that case, I would like to have a warning. As a warning to all those listening to this podcast or reading the blog post, there may be some disturbing things discussed. The SGEM is free and open access, trying to cut the knowledge translation window down to less than one year. It is intended for clinicians providing care to emergency patients, so they get the best care based on the best evidence. Some of the material could be considered explicit, graphic, offensive, and or upsetting. As a trigger warning, if you're feeling upset by the content, then please stop listening or reading. There will be resources listed at the end of the blog for those looking for assistance. Chris, can you give us a case? Sure. A 15-year-old girl presents to the emergency department with pelvic pain. She is with a parent, and after the initial introductions and history, you have her parent leave the room to ask more sensitive questions. Upon further history, you discover that she has been having pelvic pain with genital discharge and has had more than 10 sexual partners' lifetime. Eventually, you also discover that she has been drinking alcohol and endorses that she has exchanged sex for drugs in the past. Child sex trafficking, or CST, is a global human rights violation and occurs when a minor is engaged in any sex act which involved an exchange of something of perceived value, whether monetary or non-monetary. Examples of CST include prostitution of children by others, quote-unquote survival sex, which is where runaway or homeless children having sex in exchange for shelter or something else needed to survive, working in sex-oriented businesses, or production of child sexual abuse materials. Statistics from the United States Human Traffic Reporting System indicate that 85% of identified sex trafficking victims were U.S. legal citizens' residents, and 55% were minors. Statistics on trafficking in persons in Canada from 2016 reveal the following. Number one, the number of police-reported incidents of human trafficking is on the rise and is at the highest level since data became available in 2009 at nearly one per 100,000 people. 
one in three police-reported human trafficking incidents is a cross-border offense. More than half of human trafficking incidents involve another offense, usually prostitution. And the vast majority, and what I mean by vast majority is 95% of victims of human trafficking are women. 72% are under the age of 25 years of age. And most of the people accused of human trafficking are male. Risk factors associated with CTS include a history of abuse, substance use, juvenile justice system involvement, a history of running away from home, and LGBTQ status. Victims of CST are at risk for a myriad health-related consequences, including physical injury, chronic pain, sexually transmitted infections, substance use disorder, and psychiatric disorders such as PTSD, depression, and suicide. Most of these victims seek medical attention at some point as well, with 88% having seen a physician during their exploitation. So Chris, what's the clinical question? What is the utility of a CST screening tool in a high-risk patient population presenting to a large inner-city pediatric emergency department? And what's the reference? Coltiso et al. Evaluation of a screening tool for child sex trafficking among patients with high-risk chief complaints in a pediatric emergency department from Academic Emergency Medicine, October 2018. Okay, Chris, let's run through the PICO. What was the population? This study included patients aged 10 to 18 years of age presenting with high-risk chief complaints or if the attending physician was concerned about high-risk sexual or social behavior regardless of the chief complaint. We'll list the examples of the chief complaints in the show notes. And they had a number of exclusions, and I'll list those in the show notes as well. What was the intervention? The intervention was a child sex trafficking screening tool. And the comparison? There was none, although the screening tool was previously developed from a comparison of CST victims to patients presenting with complaints of acute sexual assault without a commercial component. And what were the outcomes they were looking for? The diagnostic accuracy of the child sex trafficking tool, including the sensitivity, specificity, positive and negative predictive values. Well, this paper is hot off the press, trying to cut that knowledge translation window down to less than one month. As such, we have the lead author from this AEM paper. Dr. Sherry-Ann Caltiso is an intern in the emergency medicine program at Emory. She is originally from Jamaica and migrated to the U.S. for her undergraduate education. Sherry-Ann received a B.S. in Cognitive Sciences at Rice University and her M.D. at Emory University School of Medicine. Welcome to the SGEM, Sherry-Ann. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for having me today. It's exciting to be here. Hi, Sherry-Ann. What got you interested in the topic of child sex trafficking? Well, to be honest, I didn't know too much about human trafficking while I was growing up in Jamaica, although it is certainly an international problem. Um, I really started learning about trafficking um, during my undergraduate education in Houston. Um, at that time, I came across several documentaries and books on the topic, and so I signed up to participate in an alternative spring break program that was based in Houston, and we learned more about trafficking, and we volunteered with local NGOs. Ever since then, I've been learning more about the topic, working with NGOs locally, internationally, um, and more recently participating in research. Well, we're going to be talking about a screening tool that you use to identify child sex trafficking. Could you explain the screening tool to the SGM listeners? Sure. So the screening tool was developed by Dr. Greenbaum and her team in 2015. 
And these questions are known to be risk factors for trafficking in minors and was shown to be significantly associated with child sex trafficking in her study at that time. So the seven questions include one, history of injury, two, history of running away from home, which is probably the biggest risk factor associated with trafficking, three, drug and alcohol use, four, history of involvement with law enforcement, For number five, we placed in an additional question to see if there was a history of sexual activity. Six was the number of sexual partners that they've had. If they answered yes, they had been sexually active in the past. And seven was history of having a sexually transmitted infection. And after those questions, what are the four secondary questions of the child sex trafficking tool? So the secondary questions were more focused on the trafficking status. A positive answer did not automatically meet criteria for trafficking, but instead just probed for a greater risk. Then the participant was asked if they wanted to elaborate further, and that's usually when we would hear more about the trafficking status. So those questions were, has um, someone ever asked you or forced you to do something sexual with another person? Has anyone ever asked or forced you to do some sexual act in public, like at a strip club? Sometimes kids are in a position where they really need money or a place to stay or food. Have you ever traded a sexual act for something in return? And has anyone ever asked you to pose in an inappropriate way for a photo or a video? sherri can you read the conclusions to your publication? Sure. Applied to an inner city PED population of 203 participants with high-risk chief complaints... The screening tool has high sensitivity and high negative predictive value. This makes it appropriate for an initial screening to rule out child sex trafficking in this high-risk population. Applicability for broader use and additional practice settings are warranted given the significant positivity rate among those presenting with high-risk concerns. Okay, Sherri-Ann, we're going to go through a quality checklist, Chris and I, and then we'll get you back after we've done the results to talk nerdy. Sounds good. Chris, let's run through that checklist. The clinical problem, is it well-defined? Yes, it is. The study population represents the target population that would normally be tested for this condition. Unsure. They excluded non-English-speaking patients, which would seem to be a high-risk group. Three, the study population included or focused on those in the emergency department. Yes, it did. Were the patients recruited consecutively? No, it was a convenience sample, although it did sample all times of day. There were some other problems with potential selection bias, but we can expand upon those in the nerdy section. The diagnostic evaluation was sufficiently comprehensive and applied equally to all patients. Yes. All diagnostic criteria were explicit, valid, and reproducible. Yes, they were. The reference standard was appropriate. Unsure. A patient was considered to be a true CST victim if the information obtained during the ED visit met with the U.S. Department of State definition of CST. And the eighth and final question, all undiagnosed patients underwent sufficiently long and comprehensive follow-up. Unsure about that. All right, let's run through the key results. This trial involved just over 200 participants out of 254 eligible patients. Almost half screened positive with the tool. 
there were 11 child sex trafficking victims identified for a prevalence of 5.4%. 10 out of the 11 victims screened positive with the screening tool. Give us the key result. Yeah, so using a cutoff score of two positive answers out of six, the tool demonstrated sensitivity of 90.9% and a negative predictive value of 99%. Okay, for that primary outcome, it was the diagnostic accuracy of this child sex trafficking screening tool. Just run through those sensitivity, specificity, and positive and negative predictive values for us, but don't include the confidence intervals at this time. We'll list those in the show notes. Sounds good. The sensitivity was just under 91%. The specificity was 53% for a positive predictive value of 10% and a negative predictive value of 99%. How about any other findings? Yeah, the mean age of CST victims was 15.9 years with a range of 13 to 18 years, and nine females and two males were positive for CST. The presentation of CST victims included alone, with a parent or guardian, with a friend, a police officer, and a social service case manager. And 55% of CST victims had seen a medical provider within the past six months. History items strongly associated with CST were more likely to have run away from home, which Sherry Ann mentioned earlier, have used drugs or alcohol in the past 12 months, have had more than 10 sexual partners, and to have had prior sexually transmitted infections. There was no chief complaint among the inclusion criteria that correlated significantly with CST presentation. All right, let's ask Sherry Ann some nerdy questions. And I'll start it off with selection bias. This was a convenient sample, and you could have introduced some selection bias into the study, Sherry Ann. That's certainly true. We did use a convenient sample. However, it was representative of different times of day, including morning shifts, evening shifts, and overnight shifts, as well as different days of the week in order to ensure that our screening was catching people who would present at different times for whatever reason. Okay, and you also excluded non-English speaking patients. This would seem to be at first glance a high-risk group. That's true. We decided to only interview English speaking patients because our screening tool was developed in that population. We hope that future studies can certainly expand on the screening tool by having it in a variety of translations to see if the sensitivity and specificity are maintained in other languages as well as other cultural contexts. I also noticed in the manuscript that you excluded patients if the attending physician requested that the patient not be interviewed. This was typically if the clinician felt that the patient was too young to be asked questions about sexual history or drug use. Do you think that could have introduced some bias? That certainly could have introduced some bias as well. However, there were only eight patients excluded based on physician preference, and they were typically seen by the physician ahead of time and determined to not be at risk, and that was usually based on no history of sexual activity. This will actually be quite similar to real-life implementation of a screening tool. While we want a screening tool to be as standardized as possible, there will always be some influence of physician gestalt. So the next question is regarding the 18 years old patients. So you included 18 year olds in the study. This is a group that could be voluntarily participating in stripping or commercial sex work. Very good question. That is true. Once you're 18 years old and above, you have to prove 
force, fraud, or coercion to determine if it is trafficking. We were interviewing patients up to 18-year-olds because this is the age group that is seen in the pediatric emergency department that we were screening at. And the key thing is to get a good timeline of the history of trafficking. We were not just screening for present status of trafficking, but past involvement as well. If trafficking was present before the age of 18, that would be positive for child sex trafficking. The third point we wanted to talk about was this so-called gold standard. A patient was considered to be, quote, a true CST victim if the information obtained during the emergency department visit met with the U.S. Department of State's definition of CST. Do you think this represents a true gold standard? To be blunt, no. A true gold standard would require us to either be in a courtroom where both parties admit to trafficking or to witness the commercial sex act ourselves both of which are insensitive and difficult measures. So in a clinical setting, a more appropriate approach is having self-reported identification, which will always, unfortunately, be a limitation of screening in the emergency department. Thanks. Another concern we had was if the follow-up was long enough and comprehensive enough to identify any missed cases. So typically, if a patient answered yes to any of our secondary questions, they would be seen by social work, which would include a longer discussion to determine their status. In the pediatric emergency department as well, if there were any positive answers on our screening tool that were alarming, so say, for instance, a 13-year-old girl who had more than 10 sexual partners but did not screen positive, she would still be interviewed by the social worker as standard of care. So that really depended on whether or not the risk factors were alarming enough to trigger social work, regardless if they screened positive in our study. The fifth question is about prevalence. The number of cases was small, which I, which I think is good, but it was small. It was 11 out of 203. And predictive value is based on prevalence. While the point estimate for negative predictive value looked good, 99%, it's in part because so few cases were found, and the 95% confidence interval around that point estimate was fairly wide, dropping down below 95%. This would mean that you would miss 1 in 20 cases. Can you comment on this issue, and if missing 5% of child sex trafficking cases would be acceptable? The number of cases was small, but like you said, that is a good thing. When you think about what we're detecting, that is an alarming prevalence. At present, our real problem is that we're missing most of CST cases because of a lack of screening and recognition. So a tool that can identify the vast majority of cases represents a very significant improvement in the status quo. And we do hope to tweak the tool over time to improve the negative predictive value especially as the tool may be used in different settings. Right. And the next question is about the tip of the iceberg phenomenon. So how much is this a tip of the iceberg phenomenon in this, in this study? And how many CST victims do you think we are missing? See, that's the truly unsettling thing about this issue. It is so underground, so hidden, that even national prevalence might be grossly underestimated. True rates are not known and probably will never be known, and that is why any statistics referenced um, regarding this issue should actually be taken with a grain of salt, because this is an incredibly difficult population to study. 
We are definitely missing CST victims that don't come to the emergency department at all. So Goldberg et al., as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, found that 81% of victims had previously presented to a healthcare provider in the last year. And we found 55% pre- presenting to a healthcare provider in the last six months. But if we're studying children in the emergency department, then this group might be at a higher chance of having gone to the emergency department previously, as opposed to those who had never been and that we're not studying. There is, however, another study by Letterer et al. screening known survivors of trafficking, not in the healthcare setting, that found 88% of them had presented to a healthcare provider during their entire course of being trafficked. But nearly half of them did say that their doctor did not know about their status. So clearly there are patients presenting to the emergency department that we are not capturing because we're not asking or because they're denying their status. The seventh point is about labor trafficking. This was not addressed and is more common than sex trafficking. Do you have any comments on this, sherri So unfortunately, labor trafficking is not studied well in the United States, and law enforcement is really not well trained to identify these cases, but this certainly does not mean they are not there. Um, According to the UN reports on trafficking in persons in the United States, they actually found sexual exploitation as more common than forced labor. Um, And you see labor trafficking more commonly in sub-Saharan Africa, Eastern Europe, and Central Asia, where this issue is being studied more. But we do suspect that there is a lot of unidentified labor trafficking in the U.S., and there's very little research to help us see it. But regardless, this is something that we do want to study more, and hopefully in the future there are screening tools that can be developed for detecting labor trafficking in the clinical setting as well. The eighth point is about external validity. So this was a single-center study done in an urban pediatric emergency department. How do you think this would translate into a community emergency department? Right. So our goal was to study the screening tool among a high-risk population and then branch out to validating it in different clinical settings. So based on our single study, we cannot make generalizations to this new environment But Dr. Greenbaum and her team recently conducted a multi-site study using the tool in teen clinics and child advocacy centers around the U.S. And in the teen clinics, we screened all children of a certain age, and we found a prevalence rate of 16.4% for the teen clinics and 6.3% for the child advocacy centers. So we see these clinics and different centers, different regions around a city and in the suburbs actually having a fairly alarming prevalence rate as well, unfortunately. My last question is about the screening tool and how it was administered. The CST screening tool was administered by an independent researcher. Do you envision the triage nurse adding this to their workload? Right. So this was another limitation that we considered, and hopefully future studies can determine the best way to implement the screening tool, whether by triage nurses, nurses in the emergency department, physicians, as well as comparing different modes of delivery of the screening questions, so iPad versus paper form versus actually having someone ask the questions. Ultimately, the goal, of course, will be to incorporate the tool into routine care of eligible patients in a way that will minimize the disruption of flow and maximize the likelihood that staff will detect those being trafficked so that services can be offered during their visit. And finally, is there anything else you would like to say about your screening tool or child sex trafficking in general? Well, I wanted to thank you both so much for having me on this podcast. 
the topic of human trafficking needs to be known, and I appreciate your efforts in distributing the knowledge. I know there are several institutions across the country that are studying tools and implementing protocols. And my hope is that through all these efforts, we're ultimately raising awareness and combating this very serious public health issue. Well, thank you, Sherry Ann, for answering our 10 nerdy questions. Chris, can you comment on the author's conclusions and compare them to the SGEM's conclusions? Yes, we agree with the author's conclusions. And how about a bottom line? Child sex trafficking is a global problem and can be discovered in the emergency department through application of a simple screening tool. And a case resolution? After discovering that your patient has traded sex for drugs, you have your social worker see the patient while you continue the workup for her acute medical illness. And how are you going to apply this clinically? Well, you can use a CST screening tool in adolescence with high-risk presenting complaints in the emergency department. And how are you going to talk to the patient, Chris? I would say I am very concerned about some of the things you are telling me. So I'd like to have our social worker speak with you more about this. And Sherry Ann, we were going to ask you, how do you have this conversation with patients that you've identified? So this conversation obviously is very difficult and sensitive. Um, You don't want to re-traumatize the patient. And it's also important to remember patient autonomy and shared decision-making, even with minors, to avoid this re-traumatization. So usually we'll preface the series of questions with a discussion of the voluntary nature of the questions, an explanation for asking the questions and the limit of confidentiality, and also letting them know that we may need to obtain a social work consult. Um, So you could say something like, given what we've been talking about, I'm concerned about your safety and your well-being. I would like to ask our social worker to come talk to you Um, so that she or he can see if there's anything we can do to help you stay safe. He or she has a lot of resources more than I do, and I think he or she could be helpful. What are your thoughts about this? And so the child then could share in the decision-making and feel free to voice their opinion about talking with social work staff. However, of course, if they decline to talk to a social worker, there may be mandatory reporting in your in your state, and so they may require you to contact the authorities. So that's something that you would have to discuss with the child. I knew that you would have more expertise and have a better explanation that we would have. I don't want to speak for Chris, but I have not had to address this, and most likely I have missed some cases. And so having an expert like you who has thought about this and processed this and done research on it is very helpful. Yes, of course. And this is definitely a team effort. I've learned a lot from my mentors, especially Dr. Greenbaum, who's the true expert on this team. And I'm, I'm just happy to represent the team and present our ideas on this topic. It's time to announce the Keener Contest winner. And there was no winner last week. Last week's question was, How often is there a hematoma enlargement in patients with an intracerebral hemorrhagic stroke? The correct answer would have been 30 to 40 percent, increasing the chance of a poor outcome by 50 to 80 percent. Chris, what's the question this week? This week's keener question is what percentage of human trafficking victims in Canada are under the age of 18? If you know the shocking answer to this, send an email to thesgem at gmail.com with Keener in the subject line. 
The first correct answer will receive a cool skeptical prize. Now it's your turn, SGMers. What do you think of this episode? We discussed a very sensitive topic today and a little bit different from the usual SGM. Tweet your comments using the hashtag SGMHOP. What questions do you have for Sherry Ann and her team about screening for child sex trafficking? Ask them on the SGM blog. The best social media feedback will be published in Academic Emergency Medicine. Don't forget that those of you who subscribe to Academic Emergency Medicine can head over to the AEM homepage and get CME credits for this podcast and article. We will put the process on the SGEM blog. Well, Chris, thanks again for helping me address a serious and important topic. Thanks very much for having me, Ken. And thank you, Sherry Ann, for coming on the SGEM and bringing awareness to this problem. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And we will list some additional resources on this topic in the show notes. And if you're listening and you're concerned about someone you know being trafficked, you can call the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-373-7888. And this is available 24 hours, 7 days a week in many, many languages. Sherry Ann, can you read the SGEM tagline for us? Sure. Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone next week. Whisper the sounds of silence.